If you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2. And if you don't have your Bible, you can still turn to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2, because right there along your row is going to be a Bible in the basket in front of you or close to you. Grab that, and I want to look at a passage of Scripture here uh, from the life of Jesus as Luke tells it, and it is unique to Luke. In other words, it's not found anywhere else. It's not in the Synoptic Gospels. It's not a shared story. This is Luke's story alone. And, and actually, you'll remember that at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, he tells us, what his method of information is going to be in it, and that is eyewitness accounts. Which tells us then that probably this story originates with Mary, which is really a neat thing. Uh, that Luke actually talked to Mary and then recorded this for us. Now, you may not know that we are in a sermon series right now, and we will be in that all the way into September which is called childlike faith. And what we've said so far is childlike faith is not childish. All right, that's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, We talked about that last year and had a good time talking about kids, you know, because kids are crazy and they need help and, you know, they're they're, um, unfinished humans, you know, like many of us are, except sometimes they're they're a little crazier. And so we talked about how it's it's not childishness. Uh, that Jesus is calling us to. It's not even, it's not even a, a childlike faith in the sense that it is a simple faith, meaning not very advanced, not well thought through. Uh, that's not what it is either. Instead, it's childlike. Just like when the Holy Spirit is like a dove, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is a dove, right? No, it means the Holy Spirit is like a dove. Well, also we said this so far, and that is God, uniquely in Christianity, is a holy, good Father. Now I say that's unique, and we talked. You had just. I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, but that's unique among religion. Period. Period. Okay, a good Father. And you get, you get these father figures such as Zeus and so on and so forth. Uh, what's, what's Thor's father's name? Odin. Odin. You get, you know, these guys are terrible fathers. Terrible fathers. Uh, which is really reminiscent of a lot of times <laughs> what you find at my house sometimes, right? It's like, ooh, probably went a little too far with that. But no, we serve instead a good holy, loving Father. And if He's the Father, then we're the children. That's why we need a childlike faith. And so we're exploring that. We're, we're trying to nuance that over these, over these sermons. And so where I want to land today is actually the boy Jesus. Now it's fascinating enough that we have infancy narratives in Luke. And he, of course, gives more than anybody uh, more time to this. I mean, you start the Gospel of Mark and you pretty much are jumping right into the life of John the Baptist. It's hardly anything about the birth or anything about Jesus. Matthew, we get a little bit. Luke, more extended. John jumps right in theologically, remember? 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, right? Well, Luke, now as he's transitioning, gives one last infancy narrative that's not an infancy narrative. This is really where they stop, and now it's this pubescent boy, 12-year-old boy. Notice these words here. In Luke 2, we'll start with 41. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group... They went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Lord Jesus, give us eyes to see and ears to hear by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in your name. Amen. In thinking about how God saves the world, babies are important. Think about it. When God begins to get the rescue plan going, which is really with Abraham, that's why Abraham is sort of the father of faith. Remember, Father Abraham, my many son, many son, right? Is because this is where he is starting a family. You might say a new family, because he's already done Adam and Eve, and of course we know where that landed us. But now it's a new kind of family, a family of faith. The Abrahamic family. And that family will turn into a nation. And that nation, from that nation will come one, of course, who will rule forever. The kingdom of God. The Messiah. Christ. And so Abraham, however, is is old. And his wife is barren. That's kind of two marks against you if you're trying to have a baby. And yet... You know the story. Sarah, Abraham's wife, conceives and Isaac is born. Well, think of Jochebed, who is Moses' mother, right? Even in that circle, like God is, his people are trapped in slavery. So what does he do? He calls a baby. That's what he does. You see the pattern that begins to emerge here? It's like, it's hard to have a baby. Yet through you, Abraham, all the nations, all peoples will be blessed. I need to save my people, so where does he start? With a baby. 
and you remember this baby, uh, she doesn't necessarily have trouble getting pregnant, but keeping the baby because they are aborting them at birth and then also killing them at two years old, all the males. And you remember the story, puts him on an ark uh, and safely gets him downstream and the rest is history. Well, then think of Hannah. Because like, you know what? We're going to bring in the kingdom. Like this is where the kingdom begins. So what do you do? You start with Hannah, who is barren. You start in the desert. And that's where we're going to start life. That's where life, new life is going to come. With a baby. That baby being who? Samuel. Who's going to anoint the first two kings of Israel. Saul and David. And then you think of Elizabeth. Who will prepare the way for the Messiah? <laughs> Another barren family. They're old. She can't have children. And yet, they do. And it's John the Baptist. And then, of course, you think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. How is God going to save the world? Well, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That's why our scriptures say in poetic form in Psalm 8... O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. How does God save the world? Babies. That's how. And that's why even today, babies are important. These babies that were right here, they're important, aren't they? And we know that as a culture. We, like, we value babies and children, all that kind of stuff. It hasn't always been like that, by the way. You know, that's why we had to have, like, child labor laws. And even in the medieval period, it's like most of my kids would be working right now. Like a full-time job. Now, they don't. But, I mean, they, unless you count Fortnite or something like that as work, but, or YouTubing, but no, no. We live in a very different time where we value that. But the church should value babies. And that's why, again, we're talking about a childlike faith. Remember what Jesus does? The disciples are discussing who is the greatest in the kingdom. And again, they're probably thinking about the greatest philosophers of their day, the greatest theologians of their day, the best orators of their day, the richest people in the town. I mean, that's who we think of politicians, you know, all these. I mean, they're living in the Roman world, right? There's some great wonders. It's like, who's the greatest? And she says, where's a little kid? Come here, buddy. Stand right here. This is the greatest in the kingdom. Right here. <laughs> well, thanks be to God, we get one little tiny 12-verse thing here. Pericope, if you want to be technical about it, of Jesus at 12 years old, in a temple. We get one little blip of him as a boy. You know, you got the infant part. We start at 30. When he's baptized, his ministry, and we get three and a half years, and that's it. This is a unique passage, but what's going on here? Notice his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. Now, there were 
actually three great feasts. It's Passover, it's Pentecost, and it's tabernacles that all Jewish men were supposed to attend. Not that they always did, but they were supposed to attend. But here's the thing. Not women. Women were not required. And nor were babies or children. They weren't required. And yet, these parents notice every single year. These are holy parents. And oh, God, how we need holy parents. Devout parents. That's a word we don't really use much. We, we, we almost equate being devout with being some kind of fundamentalist, which is not the same thing at all. And even religion, we give a bad name. It's like, no, we don't want to be religious. You know, that, that's, that's a bad thing. But in fact, Jesus was the most religious person to ever walk the face of the earth. Religious comes from this term religare that actually just means to bind. That's what religion, you're binding yourself to these beliefs, these doctrines, this way of life. In Christianity, you're binding yourself to this person, Jesus Christ. That's what being religious means. Now, we're all religious in various ways. Some very poorly, others very strong. Devout. They were devout parents. You know, I, I, I for whatever reason, uh, was watching uh, this 9-11 recording. You know, probably really late to the game because it seemed pretty old, but it was, it was the, the actual phone calls are recorded from the two towers uh, as it's, you know, these people can't get out and, they, and they, these families were willing to share. And, well, I was reading even in Proverbs and he's like, it's good, some, he basically, I'm translating, but he basically says, it's good kind of to go to funerals. You see what matters. Ecclesiastes is the same message. You should actually attend funerals because that's when people say really important things. At parties, not so much. But funerals, absolutely. On a deathbed, somebody's going to say something really important. And, and I just listened to this show of all these calls that were made as people were literally in the process of burning alive, smoke inhalation, suffocating, watching their people jump out a window. You, you remember that day. And they're making these phone calls. Every single one of them said the same thing. 100% of them said the same thing. And of course, you can guess what it is. I love you. I love you. Take care of the kids. Tell my mom I love her too. Mom, Dad, I love you. I mean, there's recordings on people's message machines. I love you. <laughs> Why is that? Nobody's saying, man, I wish I would have drank more alcohol. I wish I would have done drugs back, you know. I really hate that I never made, you know, a, more money. Nobody's saying that from the 100th floor. Nobody's saying, you know what, I, I really wish I would just spent more time in this place. I've got a couple more seconds left. And it's ridiculous. The way we live our lives sometimes is, is absolutely ridiculous. Well, it's what the, the proverb writer in Koheleth, who is Solomon in Ecclesiastes, says it's vanity. It's foolishness. 
No, what really matters is love, isn't it? What really matters is love. That's really what matters, and we all know it. Yet we all don't live like that. But when it comes down to it, when there's only a few more minutes left on our clock, all that comes out is love. I remember the last words that I said to my pappy on the phone was, I love you. And he to me, I love you too, son. Even though I was his grandson, he always called me son. Well, we say we love our kids, do we? Just like Jesus says, if you love me, then keep my commandments. If you love your children, then guess what? You will be devout to Jesus. He's the best parent of them all. God, our Father, is the one who defines family. It's like, look, I understand the rat race. We have people in, in soccer and, you know, all kinds of things and... You know, our people aspire to be different things. I mean, one, one of our guys, you know, he's, he's getting into school and all, and I went to have lunch with him Friday, and I'm sitting around all these little kids, you know, and kids are just so weird, you know, like, I mean, just so weird. And, like, one of them, you know, and this, these things come out of his nose, and I grab a napkin, and he's, like, he's just looking at me like, oh, no, I've got something out of my nose. I'm like, yeah, buddy, wipe that up, okay? And then somebody's like, can you open this for me? And I'm like trying to talk to my son, God, can't you see? Like, leave me alone. You know, I don't go to lunches so I can talk to every other people. But they're all just talking to me. Yeah, I'm kind of being uh, hyperbolic there with that. But one of them says, I want to be an astronaut. Well, I want to be a scientist. I'm going to be a policeman. You know, I'm going to be... And it's like the teacher asked Ty, you know, what do you want to be, buddy? And uh, he's like, I want to work at Burger King. See, I told you kids need instruction, right? (laughs) He had just recently eaten at Burger King, so I assume what he was thinking was he gets Burger King every day if he works there. So his aspirations might not be as some are, but some of those kids probably were told by their parents what to, what to, what matters, you know? Want to be a lawyer? It's like, who told you that, man? (laughs) You know, nobody just wants to become that. Like when you're five, these people were five, right? These are little people at five. Some of the things that our culture holds valuable we hold valuable, and we shouldn't. Now look, it's what, like scientists, all this kind of, but what about a follower of Jesus? Like where's that at? And, and, and I'm just asking because I'm a parent too, okay? This is not you know, me sitting up here doing this number. It's, it's me sitting right here and doing this number. But it's like, do we value sports more than God in our children's lives? Because it sure looks like that. The way we drop the money and the time, I'm just asking because I think it's important to ask, do we really love our children? You're like, man, don't be, don't be asking about if I love my children or not. Like, well, I'm, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit is asking today. It's like, what do your kids think really matters in your life? Because we can say whatever we want to say. But it's what we actually do that they see. So it's like, you say, yeah, no, we need to go to church. We've got to get to church. Come on, hurry up. But then you have this soured relationship with your spouse. What does that teach them? Probably not good things about church. It's like, oh, well, they get into a fight and church. 
That's not that you got to cover up stuff. Don't do that. But I'm saying this, you need to start asking Jesus to help you. And we all need help as parents. Can I get an amen? That's like bracketing my notes to insert amen. Parenting's not easy, but the holy parents here, Joseph and Mary, understanding the unique significance of this child was there every year at Passover, even though they didn't have to be. Every year. Now, when a child, Jewish child turned from 12 to 13, then he was supposed to participate. And that's why it says in verse 2, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Because now it was his time to begin to learn to be a man. To begin to start this process. Also, at 12 years old for Jewish life, you would have started, uh, started your work, basically, from your father. So he would have also started learning carpentry at this point. So, I mean, this is a trend. I mean, this is, this is a rite of passage. I mean, that's why even now we talk about 12 years old is important. So, some denominations even talk about an age of accountability being at 12. Why? Because, well, it looks about right. It's about the time where you're going through puberty if you're a boy, particularly. And so, <laughs> we as parents, should have great faith, not in the things of this world, not in the weapons of this world for our children, but instead the weapons of the spiritual life, which are love, it's faith, it's obedience, it's being devout to Jesus, it's giving ourselves to him. And you know, there's people, people all the time, you know, try to make Make light of faith. It's like, oh yeah, faith is just fairy believing in fairy tales. That's not what faith is at all, actually. I mean, if we want to talk about our own period in the in the twentieth century, even it was by faith that Martin Luther King Jr. believed that a nonviolent revolution of how we saw African Americans was going to work. Nonviolent, even though there was violence against them. Nonviolent. Why would he think that? Where did he get that strategy from? You ever read the Gospels? It's from Jesus. And he, told, he tells us in his, in his own letter that it was Jesus' strategy. This is our weapons of war. Not against flesh and blood, but against, notice these words, principalities and powers of darkness. You see, we're not, we're not against people. That's not, that's not what we do in the church is take up arms and start wielding a sword or whatever it is, concealing. That's not, that's not how we fight. We fight with love only. Gandhi tried this, by the way, in India successfully. That's how they had their revolution. That's why they're the, one of the biggest, well, they are the biggest democracy in the world. Not very good democracy, but nonetheless, we'll leave that for another day. How? How is that? Well, because Gandhi was reading Jesus. That's how he actually tells us that. Man, we need to teach our children how to fight. And it's not with a fist or with guns or with hate or with politics. It is instead with the sword of the Spirit. That first, that first must pierce our own heart to ever be used 
to love someone else. How we need the fire of God in our life that we just sang about. I designed it, remember, to refine you, not to kill you. But the fire of God. Well, enough about parenting. Take a deep breath. Well, I also have to mention Timothy, right, real quick. Remember his grandmother, his, Paul writes to him, he's like, look, the faith of your grandmother, your mother, is now in you. What kind of faith are you passing on to your children? I'm not talking about moralism here. It's like, do better, mom, do better, dad. Look, you're already maxed out. You know what you need, a new heart. God in us. That's what you need. It's not you trying more. Look, you don't even have time for that. It's instead putting off the weight and the sin which so easily besets us and turning to the living God. That's what it looks like to be devout. God in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not moralism. It's not trying to do better. It's not trying to sneak around your kids. It's sitting down and saying, look, I've been wrong. I've been wrong. We're about to change some things. I need your help. Let's all pray together. When's the last time we pray with our family? Read the word with our family. Pray with our spouse. Look, it's not that I'm an expert at this. I'm learning with you. So here's what happens, and this is crazy. This is such a crazy passage. Like, I just... I wish we could just pause, but we're not, because you're like, man, i got to get to lunch at some point, bro. <laughs> the boy Jesus stayed behind in the temple. Now, this is not Herod, like the inner temple. This is outside of the temple where, where they would have done teaching and whatnot, okay? And, and so he stays behind. His parents go on. They suppose... Notice the language. They suppose that he's just with with the crew because in this day and age, they would travel in these large groups. And and at 12, remember, he's transitioning kind of from being a mama's boy to now staying with the men. So mom probably is thinking, oh, yeah, he's trying to be a big boy up there with up there with or actually it was the women would actually lead first. So back there with old dad, they're probably having a good old time. You know, he's he's becoming a man. And then Joseph's like, well, he's probably just a little tenderhearted. He's probably up there with mom. He's not really ready to drop back here with the guys, you know, uh, and all this. And they both are thinking that he's with the other group. They get about a day's journey in. I imagine it gets dinner time, and they're like, well, surely he's not eating with somebody else. I mean, he would certainly come and eat with us, because that's what families do is we eat together, which, by the way, psychologically is unbelievable for your children unbelievable just to have one shared meal not shared tv not shared internet not shared mobile phones one shared meal they really deserve that i mean i'm just going to lay that out there let me just lay that out there and i'll step back and they really deserve that we don't always do it we don't always get there i understand people skip but one shared meal that they know some of our best times growing up, Justin and I, were around the table. Some of my greatest memories in college was around my grandmother's table. Around this table. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a continuity here. Off the soapbox. 
He's not there. So what do they start doing? Look here. They did not find him, verse 45. So what do they do? They, they repent. <laughs> they turn. They returned to Jerusalem. Now look at this. Uh, oh, and they started searching for him. All, all this searching language, I, I can't help but think it's applicable to us. I mean, surely sometimes we suppose that Jesus is with us, what we're doing. It's like, well, yeah, I'm doing something good for my kids. I'm spending time with my kids, you know, doing this or that. I'm, I'm taking them on vacation or whatever. I'm giving them all these things. And we suppose that Jesus is in that. How many times have we supposed wrongly? Because, you know, just supposing is assuming. And we know where we get ourselves when we do that. They supposed wrongly. We suppose wrongly. What do we do about that? Well, we search for Jesus. That's what we start doing. It's like, where is he in this? A lot of the times we, we actually are like, yeah, God, I'm going to take this job promotion, so I want you to bless it. Well, that's not, it's not, it doesn't sound like following to me, does it to you? No. It's like, Dad, I'm going to take the car, and then I'm going to ask that you bless it. No. No, you're, you're not taking the car. They search for him. They turn back. They search for him. And after three days, they find him in the temple, sitting among the doctors of the Torah. That's the language here. Now, can you not hear in that the vibrations of resurrection Easter Sunday? They lost him. They find him the third day. I mean, th- this, is, th- this is, I don't know if that strikes you, but this is the, the vibrating of something that's about to give way for all time. They find him among the doctors. Doctors, you know, that term actually comes from the Latin and it means teacher. Why for the longest time in the early church they just simply called theologians and scholars and preachers and doctors of the church. He's among them and this to me this is crazy, I don't know about you, but this is God in the flesh at 12 years old and he's listening to them. And he's asking them questions. Now imagine, and, and this is obviously true, he's not asking for instruction. He's asking those same little questions like he asked, where are you to Adam and Eve? And he's actually teaching them through questioning, which as you know is a Socratic method, which he would have been aware of because, well, anything that works in this world, he created it. So Socrates is just simply tapping into something that is human nature. (laughs) And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And here he is, and when his parents saw him, uh, something astonishing happens. They're astonished, and they're like, you know, son, we, Mary, this is Mary again. Mary, mother of Jesus. The only woman mentioned in the creed that we recite every single week. It's like some people try to 
wage a war and act like Christianity doesn't like women, that you obviously don't know anything about Christianity. She's the highest woman in the entire Bible because she undoes what Eve got us into. That's the way God loves to work. It's like, yeah, woman, sin first, but sin comes through Adam. So therefore, the way I'm going to save the world is woman first. She conceives and carries in her the seed of salvation. It's just just beautiful. It's just beautiful. And so she says, son, why have you treated us like this? We've been... We've been in distress. And Jesus says, why were you looking for me? Another translation will say, why did you need to search for me? (laughs) Which he's not trying to be smart, even though that could be taken smartly. Because you see, he never left. It was them that left. They left him, not he left them. It's one of these rhetorical questions, kind of like, rethink that, Mom. I imagine he may have even winked at her, you know, maybe. <laughs> we can ask him one day, you know. Amen. Why did you need to search for me? Sometimes we ourselves get in a situation, we come to God and we're frustrated. Why did you let this happen? Like, like if you're good and you're all-powerful, then everything should be good in my life. And I should have all power. It's like, man, you sound like a kid. Dangerous one. Not one that's trusting, but one that's demanding. Kids are not supposed to do that. No, he hasn't gone anywhere. What we find in our own selves is that we go somewhere. We all of a sudden get beset. You know, Christianity is not some static religion where we just have to believe these certain things and try to act them out in some way. Man, if you have that kind of understanding of faith, that's so bifurcated from reality. That's so unhealthy and hypocritical. No, no, no. No. Our faith is personal. It's a relationship with the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in us. I mean, these are some crazy ideas of our faith. And Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And we will come in to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is our faith. It's not about just believing things in your head and ascending to them somehow through reason. If you could do that, you could save yourself. No, we must, like them, frantically search. That's one translation. Frantically, son, we've been searching for you. When's the last time you frantically searched for God in your life? I'll tell you when it was. It was when you needed him. You turned around and you're like, where are you? We need those moments. And you know what he'll do sometimes? I know this because I've been on this journey of faith. It's a dynamic journey. It's a walking with God. That's what salvation is, walking with God. Sometimes he'll just sit back. Well, we're actually staying here. And we just, no, no, no. You know, me, you know, I'm like a squirrel or something out there just trying to get my stuff done, you know. And I'm not even paying attention. 
Where, where's, where's God? We got to turn around. It doesn't help to keep moving forward, does it? It's like, well, I'm just, just going to try to keep getting this done. I need to, I need to get this done to feel more secure. What's more secure than knowing that you are in Christ? We're not called to suppose our faith. We're called to know Jesus Christ. Know the resurrection life of God in us. Not guess. Not assume. Know. Little children, I write these things to you so that you will know, is what John says in 1 John. That you are in him and he in you. Now this is not a game of supposing in the Christian life. No. It's a game of walking in the light of Jesus. (laughs) His second question, notice... Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? That term must in the Greek is used here. It's used sparingly. It's used here. It's also when he says, I must go to the cross. Now, now a quick thing here. He says, must be in my Father's house. Well, here's the thing. The temple wasn't Joseph's house. Another translation translates this, and you will probably have it in your footnotes as well. That it may be my father's concerns. Didn't you know I must be about my father's concerns or my father's affairs? Excuse me, this is not Joseph's, you know, if, I, if I'm Mary, I would have said, son, Joseph is not concerned with the temple. He's concerned with getting home. That's why we were gone. Because, like, if you know me at all, if I go to a party or something like that, when it's time to go, I just go get in the car. Everybody's like, where's Marshall? And he's like, well, he said bye to everybody, you know, and then he said he was leaving. Now, Jessica, on the other hand, you'll, you'll have her, when she starts saying goodbye, it'll be at least 30 minutes. She still would have been with Jesus. You see, I would have been gone, long gone, probably two or three days in. in. No, Joseph's concerns was not the temple. What, 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 are, you, what are you saying, Jesus the other thing that, that's probably well-known translation, I must be about my father's what? Business. Well, hang on. Joseph has no business at the temple. He doesn't. He's not a scholar. He's a carpenter. Son, what are you saying? You see, it tells us plainly, doesn't it? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Does she just toss it out? No, because she knows there's something unique about this boy. He already knows his uniqueness. There's no self-realization here. He is God at the same time he is a boy. And he's saying to them about as clear as you possibly can say that my father is not Joseph. Which is why, again, one of our greatest Doctrines is the virginal conception of Mary. That's why we say it. It's right there every single week coming out of our mouth because his father is greater than any earthly father. He's saying my father is God the father and this is his house. And I think he's saying this is his house because the Bible tells us that God 
tabernacled with us. You can translate it like this. He templed with us. The temple was the place. The tabernacle was the place where the presence of God was. And now the presence of God, all the presence of God is in a person. Jesus. And as N.T. Wright, scholar says, there can't be two temples. There can't be two points of God in the world. There's only one point, and it's Jesus Christ. And he is the temple of God. He is the Torah of God. That's why he's sitting at 12 years old in the temple as the new Torah, as the new temple of God. And the other will be destroyed in 70 A.D. Whoo! Telling you, we just walked through some deep stuff right there, friend. The deep mystery of God, because you see a dark mystery, Mary was understanding. For when Jesus, just, just paragraphs before our reading today, Jesus comes to the temple eight days old as an infant, and Simeon is there. And God had promised this old man that one day he would see the salvation of Israel. And that old man takes this little boy that was there to be circumcised. In other words, take the mark of being in the community of faith. That's why we do infant baptism. That's why we believe in it. It's taking on the mark. That's why parents, again, it's our responsibility. They took him to the temple to be marked. And Simeon holds him up. I I, I just can't even imagine these old hands holding the salvation, not only of Israel, but of the whole world in his hands as a baby, a baby. Can you imagine what a faith we have? What a story we have to tell. This is not some old, stale story. No, this is a childlike adventure. And it is our faith. And it's the truest thing that's ever been true before your birthday is even dated by his birthday. And, of course, the prophetess Anna comes in at the very moment when he's holding him up. And she, too, sees the salvation of God, man and woman. You see what I'm saying here? Adam and Eve, Mary and Jesus, Simeon and Anna. It is for us all, friends. We are all called to be in the Father's house, in the temple of God, as the temple of God, the dwelling place of God in the world. We are to know his instructions. And Mary's beginning to to remember what Simeon said, and that is that we'll be suffering for this one. Be suffering for this one. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. The Bible says there in 51. Only like a mother could. Even she is growing in faith by a 12-year-old boy. Her 12-year-old boy, who she knows is not hers. And it's a good teaching lesson for all us parents. Those kids that sat down right here, those kids that live at your house, that you bore in your body, they are not yours but God's first. His obedience is a deeper obedience than just the parental family. And our obedience as parents must be to our Father. They're children, we're children. And we better be obeying. I don't know what that means for you. I've kind of poked around a little bit, trying to stimulate your thoughts about how to disciple your children, but it's your job. It's not the church's job. 
It's not Harvest Point's job to disciple your children. You will be the one standing before God one day because they're watching you live out the faith. That should make us shake. It does me. Lastly, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. How? <laughs> how is that possible? How does he grow? I mean, this is insane that, that God in the flesh would, would increase, would grow in wisdom. How? Because his pubescent mind is still developing, and yet he knows everything at the same time as God. You know what it tells me is this. God, it doesn't matter your stage in life. If you are an infant that just babbles when I preach, and I have some of those. They like my preaching, I guess, and they, blah, 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 you know. God's been there. God has. He's been a baby. He's been five years old. He's been 12 years old. He's been 30 years old. He's been an adult. He's gone from infancy to boyhood to adulthood. He's lived it all for us. He understands. He is our brother. (laughs) And he increased in wisdom, in stature. What is that? In years. He increased in years. He's just growing up. I mean, basically that 52 takes us all the way from 12 to 30. How many years is that? 13? Is that right? 12 to 30? 17? 18? Thank you. Goodness. I figured somebody would be quicker than that, you know? Like, I thought you guys were experts in math. I never claimed to be an expert in math, you know? (laughs) Anyway, I threw that one on you quick. 18 years is summed up in one verse. And in favor with God. How do you... How do you increase in favor? How do you increase in favor? Because that term favor is grace. It's charis. It's grace. He increased because every stage of life as we are on this journey, every stage needs to be soaked in grace. Needs to, grace must increase every single day because here's the thing. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread that came down from him. I'm the manna. How did manna work? New every day. It rots after a day. You see the point? Our relationship with God, it is not enough to have had it a week ago. To have talked to him three days ago. It's got to be new every day. Might I say every morning? Mm. What a rich passage. If you're young, you... Like Jesus, would you be found, if you're young, in God's house about his business? Are you living within the Father's playhouse? That's how Jesus lived. Like Samuel, to be given to the temple of God. What better thing? If you're single, do you know your role in the Father's house? Because there's Anna. She was married, I think, eight years And her husband died. She was 83 years old when this happened. She gave herself to God in the single life. What about you parents? Again, I'm talking to myself. Are we going to be devout like these holy parents? And what about those of us that are old? It's not time to retire from the father's business. It's time to hit the gas. I mean, you're about to bust heaven wide open and see the King of kings and Lord of Lord. It's not time to lay off. It's time to get going. 
Not in the physical activities like some of us younger ones can do, but in more mature ways like Anna and like Simeon, who both were elderly, yet still working and waiting for the coming of the kingdom of God. Whew! Hallelujah. Have we lost Jesus? Have you lost Jesus along the way? It's time to return, to start seeking for him. It can happen today. He can be found right here at this temple. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.